Chapter Nine, Part Two of Laddie. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bridget Gage. Laddie by Jean Stratton Porter. Chapter Nine, Part Two. Even so. The way I wished I had told that at the right time made me dizzy. But then there were several good switchings I'd had for telling things, besides what Sally did to me about her and Peter. I would have enjoyed knowing how one could be sure. Hereafter, it will be all right about the gun anyway. Could I take my horse and carry a message anywhere for you? Are both your sons riding to tell the neighbors? Father hesitated, but it seemed as if he stopped to think, so I just told her. Laddie is riding. Leon didn't take a horse. Father said there was nothing she could do, so she took my hand, and we started for the gate. I do hope they will find him, and get back the money, and give him what he deserves, she cried. Yes, father and mother are praying that they'll find him, I said. It doesn't seem to make the least difference to them about the money. Father didn't even look at the big paper piece I found where it was hidden. But they are anxious about the man. Mother says he is so young. We must find him, and keep this a secret, and give him another chance. You won't tell, will you? The princess stood still on her walk, and then, of all things, if she didn't begin to go Sabethany like, the color left her cheeks and lips, and she shivered and shook, and never said one word. I caught her arm. Say, what ails you? I cried. You haven't gone and got heart trouble too, have you? She stood there trembling, and then, wheeling suddenly, ran back into the house and went to my mother. On her knees, the princess buried her face in mother's breast and said, Oh, Mrs. Stanton, oh, if I only could help you. She began to cry as if something inside her had broken, and she'd shake to pieces. Mother stared above her head at father, with her eyebrows raised high, and he waved his hand toward me. Mother turned to me, but already she had put her arms around the princess, and was trying to hold her together. What did you tell her that made her come back? she asked stern like. You forgot to explain that the man was so young, and you wanted to keep it a secret and give him another chance, I said. I just asked her not to tell. Mother looked at father, and all the color went from her face, and she began to shake. He stared at her. Then he opened her door and lifted the princess with one arm, and mother with the other, and helped them into mother's room, stepped back and closed the door. After a while it opened, and they came out together. With both mother's arms around the princess, and she had cried until she staggered. Mother lifted her face and kissed her when they reached the door and said, Tell your mother I understand enough to sympathize. Carry her my love. I do wish she would give herself the comfort of asking God to help her. She does. Oh, I'm sure she does, said the princess. It's father who has lost all judgment and reason. Father went with her to the gate. And this time she needed help to mount her horse, and she left it to choose its way and go where it pleased on the road. When father came in, he looked at mother, and she said, I haven't the details, but she understands too well. The prior mystery isn't much of a mystery any more. God help their poor souls and save us from suffering like that. She said so little, and meant so much. I couldn't figure out exactly what she did mean. But father seemed to understand. I've often wondered, he said, but he didn't say what he wondered, and he hurried to the barn and saddled our best horse, and came in and began getting ready to ride, and we knew he would go northwest. 
I went back to the Kaltapa tree and wondered myself. But it was too much for me to straighten out. Just why my mother wanting to give the traveler man another chance would make the princess feel like that. If she had known my mother as I did, she'd have known that she always wanted to give every man a second chance, no matter whether he was young or old. Then I saw Laddie coming down the big hill beside the church. But he was riding so fast, I thought he wouldn't want to bother with me, so I slid from the tree and ran to tell mother. She went to the door and watched as he rode up. But you could see by his face he had not heard of them. Nothing, but I have some men out. I am going east now, he said. I wish, father, you would rub Floss down, blanket her, and if you can, walk her slowly an hour while she cools off. I am afraid I've ruined her. How much had you there? I haven't stopped to figure, said father. I think I'd better take the horse I have ready and go on one of the northwest roads. The prior girl was here a few moments ago, and her mother saw a man cross their place about the right time last evening. He ran and acted suspiciously when the dogs barked. But he was alone, and he didn't have a gun. Was she sure? Positive. Then it couldn't have been our man, but I'll ride in that direction and start a search. They would keep to the woods, I think. You'd better stay with mother. I'll ask Jacob Hood to take your place. So Laddie rode away again without even going into the house. And mother said to father, What can he be saying to people that the neighbors don't come? Father answered, I don't know, but if anyone can save the situation, Laddie will. Mother went to bed, while father sat beside her, reading aloud little scraps from the Bible, and they took turns praying. From the way they talked to the Lord, you could plainly see that they were reminding him of all the promises he had made to take care of people, comfort those in trouble, and heal the broken-hearted. One thing was so curious, I asked May if she noticed, and she had. When they had made such a fuss about money only a short while before, and worked so hard to get our share together, and when they would have to pay back all that belonged to the county and church, neither of them ever even mentioned money then. Every minute I expected father to ask where I'd put the piece I found, and when he opened right at it in the Bible, he turned on past, exactly as if it were an obituary, or a piece of Sally's wedding dress, or a baby hair from some of our heads. He went on hunting places where the Lord said sure and strong that he'd help people who loved him. When either of them prayed, they asked the Lord to help those near them who were in trouble, as often and earnestly as they begged him to help them. There were no people near us who were in trouble that we knew of, excepting priors. Hard as father and mother worked, you'd have thought the Lord wouldn't have minded if they asked only once to get the money back, or if they forgot the neighbors. But they did neither one. May said because they were big like that was why all of us loved them so. I would almost freeze in the Kaltapa, but as I could see far in all directions there, I went back and watched the roads. And when I remembered what Laddie had said, I kept an eye on the fields, too. At almost dusk, and frozen so stiff I could scarcely hang on to the limb, I heard the bulldogs at Priors begin to rave. They kept on steadily, and I thought gypsies must be passing. Then from the woods came a queer party that started across the cornfield toward the big meadow in front of the house, and I thought they were hunters. I stood in the tree and watched until they climbed the meadow fence, and by that time I could see plainly. The traveler man got over first, then Leon and the dogs, and then Mr. Pryor handed Leon the gun, leaped over, and took it. I looked again, and then fell from the tree and almost bursted. As soon as I could get up and breathe, 
I ran to the front door, screaming, "'Father! Father! Come open the big gate! Leon's got him, but he's so tired Mr. Pryor is carrying the gun and helping him walk.' Just like one, all of us ran. Father crossed the road and opened the gate. The traveler man wouldn't look up. He just slouched along. But Leon's chin was up and his head high. He was scratched, torn, and dirty. He was wheezing every breath most from his knees, and Mr. Pryor half carried him and the gun. When they met us, Leon reached in his trousers' pocket and drew out a big roll of money that he held toward father. My fault, he gasped, but I got it back for you. Then he fell over, and father caught him in his arms and carried him into the house and laid him on the couch in the dining room. Mr. Pryor got down and gathered up the money from the road. He followed into the house and set the gun in a corner. Don't be frightened, he said to mother. The boy has walked all night and all day, with no sleep or food, and the gun was a heavy load for him. I gathered from what he said, when the dogs let us know they were coming, that this hound took your money. Your dog barked and awakened the boy, and he loaded the gun and followed. The fellow had a good start, and he didn't get him until near daybreak. It's been a stiff pull for the youngster, and he seems to feel it was his fault that this cowardly cur you sheltered learned where you kept your money. If that is true, I hope you won't be hard on him. Father was unfastening Leon's neckband. Mother was rubbing his hands. Candace was taking off his shoes. Aunt May was spilling water father had called for, all over the carpet. She shook so. When Leon drew a deep breath, and his head rolled on the pillow, father looked at Mr. Pryor. I don't think he heard all of it, but he caught the last words. Hard on him. Hard on him he said, the tears rolling down his cheeks. This, my son, who was lost, is found. Oh, shouted Mr. Pryor, slamming the money on the table. Poor drivel to fit the circumstances. If I stood in your boots, sir, I would rise up in the mighty strength of my pride and pull out foundation stones until I shook the nation. I never envied mortal man as I envy you today. Candace cried out, Oh, look, his poor feet! They are blistered and bleeding. Mother moved down a little, gathered them in her arms, and began kissing them. Father wet Leon's lips and arose. He held out his hand, and Mr. Pryor took it. I will pray God, he said, that it may happen, even so, to you. Leon opened his eyes, and caught only the last words. You had better look out for the even-sos, father, he said. And father had to laugh, but Mr. Pryor went out, and slammed the door, until I looked to see if it had cracked from top to bottom. But we didn't care if it had. We were so happy over having Leon back. I went and picked up the money, and carried it to father to put away, and that time he took it. But even then, he didn't stop to see if he had all of it. "'You see,' I said, "'I told you.' "'You did indeed,' said father, "'and you almost saved our reason.' There are times when things we have come to feel we can't live without so press us that money seems of the greatest importance. This is our lesson. Hereafter, I and all my family, who have been through this, will know that money is not even worth thinking about when the life and honor of one you love hangs in the balance. When he can understand, your brother shall know of the wondrous faith his little sister had in him. Maybe he won't like what you and mother thought. Maybe we better not tell him. I can keep secrets real well. I have several big ones I've never told, and I didn't say a word about the station when Leon said I shouldn't. 
"'After this there will be no money kept on the place,' said Father. "'It's saving time at too great cost. "'All we have goes into the bank, "'and some of us will cheerfully ride for what we want, when we need it. "'As for not telling Leon, that is as your mother decides. "'For myself, I believe I'd feel better to make a clean breast of it.' "'Mother heard, for she sobbed as she bathed Leon's feet, "'and when his eyes came open, so they'd stay a little while.' He kept looking at her so funny, between sips of hot milk. "'Don't cry, Mammy,' he said. "'I'm all right. Sorry such a rumpus. Let him fool me. Be smart as the next fellow after this. Know how glad you are to get the money.' Mother sat back on her heels and roared as I do when I step in a bumblebee's nest and they get me. Leon was growing better every minute, and he stared at her, and then his dealish, funny old grin began to twist his lips, and he cried, "'Oh, golly, you thought I helped take it and went with him, didn't you?' "'Oh, my son, my son,' wailed Mother, until she made me think of Absalom under the oak. "'Well, I be ding-busted,' said Leon, sort of slow and wondering-like, and Father never opened his head to tell him that was no way to talk.' Mother cried more than ever, and between sobs she tried to explain that I heard what the traveler man had said about how bad it was to live in the country, and how Leon was now at an age where she'd known boys to get wrong ideas, and how things looked. And in the middle of it he raised on his elbow and took her in his arms and said, "'Well, of all the geese, and I suppose father was in it too. But since it's the first time, and since it is you, go to bed now, and let me sleep.' "'but see that you don't ever let this happen again.' "'Then he kissed her over and over, and clung to her tight, "'and at last dropped back and groaned. "'My reputation! Oh, my reputation! I've lost my reputation!' "'She had to laugh while the tears were still running, "'and Father and Laddie looked at each other and shouted. "'I guess they thought Leon was about right after that. "'Laddie went and bent over him and took his hand.' "'Don't be in quite such a hurry, old man,' he said. "'Before you wink out, I have got to tell you how proud I am of having a brother who is a real crusader. The Lord knows this took nerve. You're great, boy, simply great.' Leon grabbed Laddie's hand with both of his, and held tight and laughed. You could see the big tears squeeze out, although he fought to wink them back. He held to Laddie, and said, low-like, only for him to hear, "'It's all right if you stay by a while, old man.' He began to talk slowly. It was a long time before I caught up, and then I had to hide, and follow until day, and he wasn't so very easy to handle. Once I thought he had me sure. It was an awful load, but if it hadn't been for the good old gun, I'd never have got him. When we mixed up, I had fine luck getting that chin-punch on him. Good thing I worked it out so slick on Absalom Saunders. And while old even so was groggy, I got the money away from him took the gun, and stood back some distance, before he came out of it. Once we had it settled who walked ahead, and who carried the money and gun, we got along better, but I had to keep an eye on him every minute. To come through the woods was the shortest, but I'm tired out, and so is he. Getting close I most felt sorry for him. He was so forlorn, and so scared about what would be done to him. He stopped and pulled out another roll, and offered me all of it, if I'd let him go. I didn't know whether it was really his or part of father's, so I told him he could just drop it until I found out. Made him sweat blood, but I had the gun, and he had to mind. 
I was master then. So there may be more in the role I gave father than even so took. Father can figure up and keep what belongs to him. Even so had gone away past Flanagan's before I tackled him. And I was sleepy, cold, and hungry. You'd have thought there'd have been a man out hunting, or passing on the road. But not a soul did we see till Pryor's. Say, the old man was bully. He helped me so. I almost thought I belonged to him. My, he's fine when you know him. After he came on the job, you bet old Evenso walked up. Say, where is he? Have you fed him? Laddie looked at father, who was listening, and we all rushed to the door. But it must have been an hour, and Evenso hadn't waited. Father said it was a great pity, because a man like that shouldn't be left to prey on the community. But mother said she didn't want to be mixed up with the trial, or to be responsible for taking the liberty of a fellow creature. And father said that was exactly like a woman. Leon went to sleep, but none of us thought of going to bed. We just stood around and looked at him, and smiled over him, and cried about him, until you would have thought he had been shipped to us in a glass case, and cost, maybe, a hundred dollars. Father got out his books and figured up his own, and the road money, and Miss Amelia's and the church's. Laddie didn't want her around, so he stopped at the schoolhouse and told her to stay at Justice's that night. We'd need all our rooms. But she didn't like being sent away when there was such excitement. But everyone minded Laddie when he said so for sure. When father had everything counted, there was more than his, quite a lot of it, stolen from other people who sheltered the traveler, no doubt, father said. We thought he wouldn't be likely to come back for it, and father said he was at a loss what to do with it. But Laddie said he wasn't. It was Leon's. He had earned it. So father said he would try to find out if anything else had been stolen. And he'd keep it a year, and then, if no one claimed it, he would put it on interest until Leon decided what he wanted to do with it. When you watched Leon sleep, you could tell a lot more about what had happened to him than he could. He moaned and muttered constantly, and panted, and felt around for the gun, and breathed like he was running again, and fought until Laddie had to hold him on the couch, and finally awakened him. But it did no good. He went right off to sleep again, and it happened all over. Then father began getting his crusader blood up, although he always said he was a man of peace. But it was a lucky thing even so got away. For after father had watched Leon a while, he said if that man had been on the premises, his fingers itched so to get at him. He was positive he'd have vented a little righteous indignation on him that would have cost him within an inch of his life. And he'd have done it, too. He was like that. It took a lot, and it was slow coming. But when he became angry enough— and felt justified in it. Why, you'd be much safer to be someone else than the man who provoked him. After ten o'clock the dog barked. Someone tapped, and father went. He always would open the door. You couldn't make him pretend he was asleep, or not at home when he was. And there stood Mr. Pryor. He said they could see the lights, and they were afraid the boy was ill, and could any of them help. Father said there was nothing they could do. Leon was asleep. Then Mr. Pryor said, "'If he is off sound, so it won't disturb him, I would like to see him again.' Father told him Leon was restless, but so exhausted a railroad train wouldn't waken him. So Mr. Pryor came in and went to the couch. He took off his hat, like you do beside a grave, while his face slowly grew whiter than his hair, and that would be snow-white. Then he turned at last and stumbled toward the door. Laddie held it for him, but he didn't seem to remember he was there. 
he muttered over and over, Why? Why? In the name of God, why? Laddie followed to the gate to help him on his horse, because he thought he was almost out of his head. But he had walked across the fields, so Laddie kept far behind and watched until he saw him go safely inside his own door. I think father and Laddie sat beside Leon all night. The others went to sleep. A little after daybreak, just as Laddie was starting to feed, there was an awful clamor, and here came a lot of neighbors, with even so. Mr. Freshett had found him asleep in a cattle hole in the straw stack, and searched him, and he had more money, and that made Mr. Freshett sure. And as he was very strong, and had been for years a soldier, and really loved to fight, he marched poor Evenso back to our house. Every few rods they met more men out searching who came with them, until there were so many our front yard and the road were crowded. Of all the sights you ever saw, Evenso looked the worst. You could see that he'd drop over it much more. Those men kept crying they were going to hang him. But mother went out and talked to them, and said they mustn't kill a man for taking only money. She told them how little it was worth compared with other things. She had Candace bring even so a cup of hot coffee, lots of bread, and sausage from the skillet, and she said it was our money and our lad, and we wanted nothing done about it. The men didn't like it, but the traveler did. He grabbed and gobbled like a beast at the hot food and cried, and mother said she forgave him and to let him go. Then Mr. Freshett looked awful disappointed, and he came up to father, with his back toward mother, and asked, That's your say too, Mr. Stanton? Father grinned sort of rueful like, but he said to give even so his money and let him go. He told all about getting ours back, and having had him at the house once before. He brought the money Leon took from him, but the men said no doubt he had stolen that, and Leon had earned it bringing him back, so the traveler shouldn't have it. They took him away on a horse, and said they'd let him go, but that they'd escort him from the county. Father told Mr. Freshett that he was a little suspicious of them, and he would hold him responsible for the man's life. Mr. Freshett said that he'd give his word that the man would be safe. They only wanted to make sure he wouldn't come back, and that he'd be careful in the future how he abused hospitality. So they went, and all of us were glad of it. I don't know what Mr. Freshett calls safe, for they took even so to Groveville, and locked him up until night. Then they led him to the railroad, and made him crawl back and forth through an old engine beside the track, until he was blacker than any negro ever born, and then they had him swallow a big dose of croton oil for his health. That was the only kind thing they did, for afterward they started him down the track, and told him to run, and all of them shot at his feet as he went. Hannah Freshett told me at school the next day, her father said even so, just howled, and flew up in the air, and ducked and dodged, and ran like he'd never walked a step, or was a bit tired. We made a game of it, and after that, one of the boys was even so, and the others were the mob. And the one who could howl nicest, jump highest, and go fastest, could be it oftenest. Leon grew all right faster than you would think. He went to school day after next, and the boys were sick with envy. They asked and asked. But Leon wouldn't tell much. He didn't seem to like to talk about it, and he wouldn't play the game, or even watch us. He talked a blue streak about the money. Father was going to write to every sheriff of the counties along the way the man said he had come, and if he could find no one before spring who had been robbed, he said Leon might do what he liked with the money. I used to pretend it was coming to me, and each day I thought of a new way to spend it. 
Leon was so sure he'd get it, he marched right over, and asked Mr. Pryor about a nice young thoroughbred horse from his stables. And when he came back, he could get a colt-like one so very cheap, that father and Laddie looked at each other and gasped, and never said a word. They figured up, and if Leon got the money, he could have the horse and save some for college. And from the start he never changed a mite about those two things he wanted to do with it. He had the horse picked out, and went to the field to feed and pet it and make it gentle, so he could ride bareback. And mother said he would be almost sick if the owner of the money turned up. Pulling his boots one night, father said so too, and that the thoughts of it worried him. He said Mr. Pryor had shaded his price, so that if the money had to go, he would be tempted to see if we couldn't manage it ourselves. I don't know how shading the price of a horse would make her feel better, but it did, and maybe Leon is going to get it. End of chapter 9